What do you mean the kids are calling you Tabitha the Elephant? What, what, what? I don't know where or how this got started, but one day the students asked me, Mrs. Herring, are you a teacher? And I was like, no, I'm an elephant. So they then decided, of course, the obvious thing was to name the elephant. <laughs> Correct. So they, I think they got it from Mr. Jones. Oh, and they started okay. saying, Tabitha. Tabitha's a good name for an elephant. So now they go around and say, um, hello, Tabitha. Although I have changed it to Miss Tabitha. And he said, oh, at least be Miss Tabitha. Now, I think it's the same sixth graders who, uh, they, they decided I needed a nickname too. And they wanted to call me <laughs> Batino. And I thought the same thing. I was like, wait a minute. You can't give first name basis with the teacher, even if... It's a fake, silly first name, so I make them call me High Wizard Batino if they're going to use this nickname. Yes, they come and report to me everything you said. <laughs> well, hopefully they're listening, and we're not going to name them on the show, but they, they know who they are. They definitely know who they are. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of What's the Res, an ongoing conversation about the current resolutions in the world of high school debate. My name is Josh Herring. I'm a humanities instructor and debate coach at Bailey's Academy in Rollsville, North Carolina. This episode is part of our ongoing series to help students get ready for the upcoming Coolidge Qualifier Tournament at Franklin Academy in Wake Forest, North Carolina on May 11th. That's coming up really soon. Our resolution for that tournament is resolved. The benefits of a traditional four-year bachelor's degree outweigh the cost to students and their families. Today, I'm joined by my wife, Jennifer Herring, who's going to help us with her college story and really weighing some of those questions in her own experience and whether or not college was worth it. She brings to our episode uh, five years, four years, how many years in Wake County Library? Uh, four years. Four years at Wake County Library and now two years in, uh, as a teacher at Thales Academy. And she has an associate's degree and a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. Uh, so I'm going to call you Jen on the show, even though all of your students listening know you as Mrs. Herring or Tabitha the Elephant. But Jen, <laughs> welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm uh, excited and nervous to be here. Oh, hopefully not too nervous. I mean, I, there's always a cat nearby to pick up in case you're really nervous. I mean, this is true. They're, they're very comforting that way. Well, Jen, tell tell our audience your story. How does how does your how does your college journey go? Well, um, it starts with being homeschooled and. Somehow, in 1999, my mom managed to ha have me enroll for classes at the local community college. I only took one class a semester. Um, but I was 13, no, 14, going into my first class. I learned pretty quickly on, don't tell anyone how old you are. You were a 14-year-old attending community college. Yes. And that, that, that's, uh, that, that's attending. That's not doing some kind of online... Virtual no. connection. That's physically, physically at the community college. Physically at the college, on campus, four classes, uh, three days a week. Okay. I believe three or four days a week. It was a language course. It was Spanish 101, so I cannot remember exactly what the schedule was. But I started going to FCC, Frederick Community College, in 1999, and I graduated from high school in 2002. Still continued taking community colleges, though by that time I did transition to full-time. And I graduated with my Associate of Arts and General Studies in 2004. And how old were you when you graduated with that degree? I believe I was 17 turning 18 that year. So you were still 
between six months to a year younger than the national average for students who are graduating high school. Yes, 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 I was. Okay, well, so uh, tell, tell us a little bit about that community college experience. Would you, do you look back on that as a positive experience? Definitely, it was a very positive experience. Um, it's, I don't know, I, don't, I do not know how my mom was able to enroll me, because they did have dual enrollment, enrollment. They did have dual enrollment. They had dual enrollment. We got that part. Keep going. They did have dual enrollment, and which is very common nowadays. In that point in time, I think it was a little bit more new and innovative. And I believe the structure was intended for upper class students. I don't know. This is all based on vague memory. Um, but somehow my mom was able to get me enrolled at the age that I was. I, I ended up being there. Um, commencement student speaker there we go the student speaker at commencement the year I graduated my associates in general studies and I developed a community there I had some very positive uh, role models and advisors in the student life office and I was on student council for a year or two as the secretary which was an interesting experience and I enjoyed it very much and really just had the opportunity to see what class structure was like since I was homeschooled and have that transition into a traditional classroom structure with, cl- with classmates and a teacher and so on and so forth. Um, I would not take that experience away for anything. Also, having finished the associate's degree, more of my credits transferred when I went on to a bachelor's degree. Mm. I had something like 60 credits transfer. So when I did finally make it to four-year college, I had senior status by my second semester. Which certainly uh, then at least gave you advanced standing when it came to registration oh, and, yes. and certain perks. We'll get to that more of that maybe in a minute. I always got every single class that I wanted. That is quite the benefit. Well, uh, so what, what, what was next for you? You were 18 with a degree. <clears throat> did you go on immediately to a four-year school and complete it in two years? What did what, you do after that? Yeah, I would have loved to have gone into a four-year school, but the finances just were not there. My parents didn't have the finances to send me to college, and I really wanted to go to college. That was my desire and my dream. I was in a community where there were other young ladies who their first desire was to have a family and get married. And I, I wanted that, but not until I had gotten my bachelor's degree. That was important to me. So I started working full-time, um, eventually for a local cardiologist as his front desk receptionist. Worked there for two years and seven months. And in that last year, um, I realized that if I wanted to go and get my bachelor's degree, I needed to go do it. Otherwise, it wouldn't happen. So I started pursuing some colleges, started applying around, and I settled down to one of two choices. I either wanted to go to Hillsdale College in Michigan, or I wanted to go to University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Those are two very different options. I mean, certainly University of Maryland, Baltimore County, you're going to be looking at in-state tuition. and those sorts of arrangements, but Hillsdale doesn't take any federal money, so they don't really care about the in-state, out-of-state distinction as much. Mm -hmm. So what did you choose? So I knew that I wanted to go to Hillsdale for the classics department that they had, and I knew I wanted to study Latin and Greek and ancient languages. And I also wanted to go there for the professors and student body, but the price tag was steep enough that I had to think about it because I didn't have any financial help. University of Maryland, Baltimore County, UMBC for short, they had an ancient languages degree and they were in state and it was like $5,000 for tuition. 
And that was definitely very attractive. But my deciding factor was that my dad didn't have much to say about any of my college choices except Mm. for Hillsdale College. He was very drawn to the stance that they had that they would not accept federal money. And that meant something to me. That was very important to me that he had an opinion about it at all, at, at all. So needless to say, my first choice was Hillsdale. It was just making the money swing. So I decided that first year that I was going to go ahead and borrow what I needed. Um, the fact that I had worked full-time for two years and seven months actually put me in a position where I could get this private loan from the state of Michigan. <clears throat> and I, because I had worked full-time, I did not need to have a cosigner. And for me, that was significant because I wasn't putting anyone else under the obligation of paying back my loan. That's right. I remember I faced that same decision and I had to, uh, it was dad and I had quite a conversation about co-signing and he he told me that if I uh, defaulted on my loan and it cost him his house, he was not going to be very happy with me. Well, I was glad that I was able to spare my family that request with this Mm -hmm. particular loan. I was thrilled actually. Um, so that first year I borrowed, I had a, I had some scholarship money from Hillsdale, but I borrowed heavily for that first year. I believe they also gave me a, not scholarship, a loan as well. And they required a co-signer regardless of your age or work experience. And my dad was willing to co-sign on those loans. So I borrowed for that first year. And then at the end of the year, started thinking about, could I make it back the next year? And I talked to financial aid and it was, um, Richard Masterson? No, Mor- Morganston. Did we, is he the guy that was at the, uh, the alumni dinner a few months back? No, he wasn't. Was he no, at, no. Okay, that, that was someone different. That no. was else. I know the guy I you're apo- thinking of, though. I've seen his yes. name on so many emails. I apologize for messing up your last name. But <laughs> I can't remember. Morganstern? Morgan, it's, it's, it's an M name. It's an M no, name. Oh, don't look. That's cheating. Okay. So regardless, anyway, I had a meet I had a meeting with him and he steered me in the direction of some op- opportunities for scholarships. And the long and short of it is I ended up getting two half tuition scholarships out of that conversation with him. And I was ex- very very blessed, very blessed. I was able to uh, renew those scholarships as well for 3 years. For the rest of my time at Hillsdale, I stayed at Hillsdale a total of four years. So it was two half tuition scholarships, which really took care of the bulk of the finances needed. Left you with uh, presumably lodging and food arrangements Correct. to figure out, but the tuition was taken care of. Yes, it was. I was very grateful for that blessing. It enabled me to stay at, Hill- stay at Hillsdale, and Hillsdale was an experience, is an experience that I would not trade for, for anything. It was very, very positive. Now, I think that's your your story is really interesting in a lot of ways. In part, I remember talking with a Hillsdale official uh, at that alumni dinner in Raleigh a few months back, and I, I asked him, "What what about the price tag?" Because I love my years at Hillsdale, and I too would not trade them for anything. Um, but I have trouble recommending Hillsdale to students now because I know some of them have are from families that could easily afford a twenty five thousand, thirty thousand dollar a year price tag. But many of them are not in those kind of financial situations. I just I wish there could be a way to have the quality of Hillsdale College without the price tag. Yes. And he turned back to me and said, "Look, everything you just said is true. We do have that price tag, and you got all you got to know two things. The first thing you have to know is that compared to other small liberal arts colleges, we are a bargain. 
I've since realized that's very true. I was looking last week at Oberlin College, which comparatively they're about they're of a somewhat similar size to Hillsdale, and their tuition point is seventy three thousand dollars. Oh my a year. goodness! So yeah, Hillsdale at twenty seven thousand a year today is definitely a bargain. I think it it's more, more than that. I think it's more like thirty thousand, well, thirty three thousand. I, I thought but, so too, but I looked. It's still under thirty. But oh, very the good. second thing that the official told me was that really what they're looking for as a college is for students who want them. And I thought that was really interesting. I mean, your story reflects that. My story reflects that, where I called Hillsdale back and said, I want to come there. Can you make this work? And they offered me one half tuition scholarship, not two, but it made the finances work. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, this is a, a tip for anyone listening, thinking about the uh, their debate case strategy, perhaps that's more widespread, where really if people indicate to the college that I really want to commit to this college, that the colleges find ways to help students meet those costs so that it becomes more accessible than it might look on the surface with that expensive price tag. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's definitely very true. And our experience with Hillsdale is evident of that. I think so. Now, you were saying a, a moment ago that uh, you would not trade your Hillsdale years for anything. Tell us a bit more about why Hillsdale was so special for you. What was, what did you study? What was, how, how did that go? Well, being an untraditional student and going to Hillsdale, and I was the age of the current senior class. I was 22 when I arrived on campus. I thought that I was mature. I thought that I knew things. <laughs> and I thought I knew them pretty well. And, you know, I was going to be an example to all of the freshmen, even though I was technically there at the same time as them. I think it was a month before I realized that I did not know as much as I thought I did. I was not as mature as I expected that I was. And there are a ton of smart people in the world, smarter than I by far. And that really helped ground me into who I was in terms of realistically who I was. And then being able to take advantage of the opportunity to read, to study these great authors in our great books classes that we took, Mm -hmm. in our Western Civilization classes, reading all this primary source material. And then what does that indicate about life? What does that indicate about the time? What does that mean today? And having the professors there who are willing to ask those questions, ask those hard questions, and expecting some kind of answer as as a teaching tool, and at the same time being concerned about caring and being concerned about your personal growth. Hmm. Well, and certainly you made it past those core classes of great books and the heritage courses and into your major. You chose, of all things, you chose to major in classics. I mean, uh, I I hate the phrase dead white males, but it does seem to apply (laughs) to some extent here. You literally chose to major in reading dead things that were written centuries, millennia ago. Why, of all things, would you choose classics? Because it's underrated how much... What the present is built on the past. We like to be all innovative and new and different today. And with, um, with our politics and our literature and all of uh, the subjects that you can encounter. But hold on a second. Step back. That came from somewhere. It was built on some kind of foundation. How can you understand now if you don't understand then? So this is why I want to do classics. Our culture, Western civilization is so based on ideas that started with the Greeks and then leaked over to the Romans and then was built on from there in Europe and um, the old world, if you will. 
And in order to know what they were really saying and what they really intended, you've got to read it in their language. You can't depend on an English translation. Someone has to be interested enough to go into the real meaning with the words that they used. Well, let's dig into that for just a moment, because I, I will freely confess, just so that all cards are on the table, uh, that I am no linguist, but you certainly are. You, you have a much stronger gift in languages. I often depend on translations for the text that I teach. Mm -hmm. uh, so are, is it the case that I'm missing something by not being able to read the Greek and the Latin, but still teaching Homer and Cicero <laughs> and, and, uh, and the like? So if you have a good translator, you're probably not missing much. But with any kind of language translation, all right, let me back up half a minute. The person who's doing the translation is trying to do their best to convey the intention, the, the meaning, the sense of a sentence into English. Mm. And doing that requires a knowledge of how the authors express themselves. What did they mean here versus what did they mean there? When they use this vocabulary here, what is the overall tone? So if you have a good translator, that's what they're doing when they translate it into English. And you're probably, you're not losing much. But you as an individual don't have that firsthand experience of understanding that this um, sentence structure with this verb and this tense communicates thus. That's what you're missing. Mm. And... For the understanding of Cicero, for the discussion and the and the um, the learning, those little grammar details are nice to have. They are not the end all and be all. I will say that. <clears throat> but for those who like details, it can be it can really enhance a text if you're aware of those details and can and have enough of a knowledge to know what those details mean. So I think it's safe to say from the passion in your voice that you do love the classics and you do love the study of classical languages. And I know in, re in recent years, you've had the opportunity to return to uh, a more regular study of Latin. But before we get there, let's, let's, let's go a few a couple steps past Hillsdale. So let's, uh, you, you ended up taking on some, some level of debt in order to enable uh, your college studies, and you did well in your college studies, but what about after that? So, <clears throat> just to recap, because we did go off on a little bit of a tangent there. So, homeschooled, went to Camilical Community College while in high school, graduated with an associate arts degree, started working full-time after about two to three years, went back to um, get my four-year degree, actually stayed four years at Hillsdale College, because I didn't want to leave, to be honest. And then I started applying to grad programs for a master's in library science, library and information science. And I went straight from undergrad to graduate school. I was able to find a program in Greensboro, North Carolina, at the University of North Carolina, Greensboro, in their library science program for... <clears throat> Wow, the name is escaping me. Academic oh. excellence. Eight. I don't remember. Oh, it's terrible. Well, this is really bad. Just in case there are anyway. any of Jen's librarian friends that want to email us and uh, chide us at what's the res for not having this wow. on hand, you can contact us at what's the res at gmail dot com. Uh, but let me finish my story. Oh, there it is. <clears throat> 
I still remember the name of the scholarship. I apologize. <clears throat> but it was um it was a scholarship program full tuition for minorities. And I'm half Puerto Rican. So I applied as a Hispanic. And they I was I got a scholarship. I was accepted into the program and got the scholarship. So then I went to grad school for two years and in 2013 graduated my master's of library science. Got a job that summer as a children's librarian with the Wake County Public Libraries. Worked there for four years. Um, all the time, kind of wanting to go back to the Latin at some point to, to teach mm-hmm. and to keep on reading the authors. In 2017, got the opportunity to transition to teaching Latin in the middle school at Bailey's Academy, Rollsville. And have been there ever since. Oh, that's a that's a fascinating uh, journey, and really, your your story reflects this this movement from from various into various different fields. Now, did so? Did you find that your time at Hillsdale prepared you to do well in grad school? Yes, um, Hillsdale was mentally exhausting and engaging with the material that you were reading and having to process through. Grad school was challenging in taking all of this knowledge and applying it in a practical manner. And the practical ins and outs and the tools and necessary to running a library and offering those services. And in what context you should offer those services when you have this challenge in dealing with the public, how do you get around it? How have other people gotten around it? And so on and so forth. Wow. So really, it would be the would it be fair to say that one of the real benefits from your time at at Hillsdale, even though it was a a costly experience to be at Hillsdale, mm-hmm. it really benefited you in preparing you to think in different ways that you wouldn't be able to do if you hadn't gone there. Oh, very, very, very true. Yes. Now, and do you, does that kind of uh, does and really, of course, now you're using your Latin degree day in and day out yes. in in teaching. And I think it's interesting that I, I don't know how many times I've heard people say this about a history degree or an English degree, but also about a classics degree. The question is always, well, how are you going to make any money off of that degree? Has, has the Latin degree become oddly more valuable in recent days? Well, in recent days, yes. Um, I, be, I don't know how connected it is to a classical school's resurgence in the education arena, but there has been uh, increased desire and need for latin teachers like good latinists who can also be teachers coming on the scene and introducing this language of immense detail to students preparing them for any future language study as well as introducing the the logic and structure of language and how that's different from english and in learning the language you're kind of shaping your mind to be open to another way of expression, hmm. which at some point in our lives is a good lesson to be aware of. What, and it happens no matter what language you do study. Latin is unique in that it has so many endings and stem words, and there's rules and how you apply it together, kind of like a puzzle. And that exposure gives you, you're working on like logic skills, like the same part of your brain you use for math. You're looking on language skills. Um, you work on vocabulary, and you're also setting yourself up for literature as well whenever you get past the grammar and into reading the authors. 
I've heard that for, for many years, that Latin enables students to be able to think in such a way that if they need to acquire another language, they already have all the building blocks. I was recently talking to uh, one of my 11th grade students, who's also uh, one of our debaters, and uh, Daniel has recently decided that he really wants to learn Russian. He was at Thales through middle school. He's taken uh, Latin classes. He's now taking Spanish, but in part because of his language formation, he has all the he has the ability without hiring a tutor or engaging a specialist teacher or something like that. He can make use of free resources on the internet to acquire a basic understanding of how the Russian language works. Mm -hmm. I would say my sixth grade students right now, in comparison to where they were at the beginning of the year have the foundation they need to start picking up another language if they want to. Because we've talked about the present tense and the endings and the persons that that means and how an ending tells you what the subject is and what this ending on this end of uh, the ending on this noun tells you how it functions in the sentence and how you transition that into English. My sixth graders have done all of this already since July. It's intense and amazing and they should be so proud of themselves. Well, hopefully the, uh, the ones listening to this will appreciate that shout out. Well, so, Jim, theoretically, our, our audience is mo- composed mostly of people who are preparing for this resolution, uh, weighing the cost against the benefits of a traditional bachelor's degree. What advice would you give to students who are looking at this question of college, whether in terms of the debate or actually for real, and they're looking at college choices in the near future? There's still so many factors to consider. Figuring out what you want. What you should look at is you're trying to figure out what you want. Um, professors. I would say that is the highest value that a university or a college can offer is who the professors are that they have. And I don't necessarily mean in, right, in terms of re- name recognition or reputation or um, class size and research as much as who is willing to engage with you in your life and push you and ask you those tough questions in order to get your mind to engage and consider other perspectives than your own. Kind of the same idea, the, the, kind of that same structure you get when you get to the higher level courses and you have smaller classes, finding that kind of intimate setting where you have a professor who's willing to engage you in your life. That's my number one, because I think that no matter where you go, finding that core is what will help you develop better as an overall person, as a whole person. Beyond that, big university or small college, find out what your feel is. I personally wanted the small college experience. I wanted to be able to know my classmates, and I wanted to be able to know my professors, and I didn't want to get lost in the crowd. And then when you found those, Try to make it happen despite what the price tag is. I realize at some point that's going to be too high. When you're talking about Oberlin College with a $73,000 price tag per year, like that, that point, I'm out. I cannot, I cannot afford that. But I, will, I advise everyone to go to Hillsdale if they can get in. Because, <laughs> and yes, you chuckle, Josh, but it's, it, was, it is such an amazing place with students who want to learn who want to study, and who bring their sharp minds to class every day Mm. and thus help hone your own mind to be a contributing member to the culture and society and civilization. And I I don't see that matched elsewhere. I know there are other schools that are close to the Hillsdale model, but from personal experience, that is unmatched. I certainly might chuckle at that, if only 
mostly because I get stuck on the practicalities. Uh, Hillsdale would not be Hillsdale if it had 50,000 students in it. Yes. I wish that I wish it could could work that way. Uh, but at the same time, I know my students get a little grumpy at how often I tell them they need to apply to Hillsdale College and they need to go visit Hillsdale's website. Oh, by the way, have you seen the latest article from a Hillsdale College professor? I'm, I will confess I'm not terribly subtle in my advocacy for them considering Hillsdale. Uh, it's, I, I think the, the greatest, you started to get at this, so I, I want to just pull this out. I think the greatest value in college and the part that is, I, I, without going into insane numbers and amounts of money, the part that is really close to possibly priceless is the fact that you change yourself through excellent education and you cannot accurately predict how those changes are going to open up future horizons for exploration. Well said. So because that's what a great liberal arts college does, the price really does become worth it if we look at it over the long haul. Rather than looking at college as a short-term, okay, this is four years so that I have a good stepping stone to my career path, college becomes worth it under a certain price model if it's really about forming you into a sort of person who could go anywhere and really do anything knowing what it takes to be happy and then living in that way. So I, I, I certainly agree with you. I wish all of our, all of our students could go to Hillsdale. And, and maybe that just means we need lots more schools that begin looking <laughs> to Hillsdale as the this model. This is true. I should give a caveat. I know that there were students there where Hillsdale did not fit who they were. And they end up going to a bigger university and, and liking that environment more for, who, for them. The advice I've begun giving my students in uh, 11th and 12th grade classes is less about going to a particular school and more about trying to find those amazing professors yes. you were talking about at whichever school they end up at. Yes. Those professors are there to be found and they can have that transformative effect. Mm -hmm. The trick is you have to find them. Mm -hmm. And then after professors, I would say, find that core group of people who are serious about their studies and serious about improving themselves and want to use college in order to create a better whole person within themselves. Well, Mrs. Herring, I think that's probably a great note to end this episode on. And we need to go feed our cats because they keep wrestling their food in the background to this episode. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed this special episode of What's the Res, an ongoing conversation about the current resolutions in the world of high school debate. My name is Josh Herring. I'm a debate instructor and humanities instructor at Thales Academy in Rollsville, North Carolina. My guest this episode has been Mrs. Jennifer Herring, a proud graduate of Frederick Community College, Hillsdale College, and the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. If you want to get in touch with us here at What's the Res, please send us an email at whatstherez at gmail.com. Or find us on Twitter or Instagram at what's the res underscore. We love to hear from you. Until next time, work hard, speak well, and seek truth. <laughs>